Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Endopod. My name is Hepsi Xavier. I'm very excited to announce and share this new podcast set up by the Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society. Endopod is going to be a new and exciting way of exploring the world of endocrinology and we have some great stuff planned including hot topics, debates and some revision material too, you'll be glad to know. Without further ado, let's dive right into our first topic, straight from the press. We're going to be discussing the one and only COVID-19 and how it affects people with diabetes as part of our Covendo series. We'll cover a little bit about coronavirus and the basis of diabetes before moving on to talk about how coronavirus and diabetes fit together. I'm sure you're aware of the pandemic going on at the moment. COVID-19 is a disease brought about by the new coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 which belongs to a genus of other coronaviruses, which have been around for a very long time. The exact origin of the coronavirus is unknown, but it is thought that the virus is zoonotic and passed from bats to humans. The incubation period is thought to range from 2 to 14 days after exposure. SARS-CoV-2 spreads mostly through close contact or droplets. The most up-to-date R number is just under 1. Anything higher than 1 means that cases increase exponentially. Nonetheless, it is still important to social distance and wash your hands. Typical symptoms of COVID-19 include a new continuous cough and or fever, shortness of breath, fatigue, muscle aches, sore throat, runny nose and a new loss of taste or smell. Less common symptoms include diarrhoea, nausea and vomiting, etc. Onset of these symptoms means you should self-isolate for 7 days and people in your household should self-isolate for 14 days. About 80% of people who get COVID-19 recover well, with no complications. However, the remaining 20% progress to shortness of breath, acute respiratory distress syndrome and severe pneumonia, and end up getting hospitalised. The people who are at most risk of being hospitalised are those with a weaker immune system or underlying chronic condition. For example, lung disease, heart disease, high blood pressure. The underlying chronic condition we're talking about today is diabetes. So, let's talk about what diabetes actually is. Diabetes mellitus is a group of conditions where the body cannot control its own glucose levels. It is one of the most commonest and most prevalent conditions in the world, and is associated with microvascular and macrovascular complications. We're going to be focusing on type 1 and type 2 diabetes for the purposes of this podcast. Type 1 is when there is a lack of insulin being produced due to autoimmune destruction of the pancreas, whereas type 2 is when there is an insulin insensitivity. The body produces insulin, but it is essentially not recognised. Insulin is a hormone produced by the body in response to high blood glucose levels. Its main role is to reduce blood glucose levels. There are many mechanisms involved in doing this, including glycogenesis and lipogenesis. Insulin also inhibits mechanisms such as lipolysis and gluconeogenesis to ensure a decrease in blood glucose levels. In type 1 diabetes, there are multiple genes which predispose you to getting the condition, mainly HLA gene variants, which eventually lead to autoimmune destruction of B-cells in the islets of Langerhans of the pancreas. There is also an element of molecular mimicry, and it is thought that viral pathogens can mimic beta-cell proteins, which explains why many type 1 diabetics present with a systemic infection at first. So what does all of this mean for the patient? At the end of the day, they require exogenous insulin via injections or pumps and need to carefully monitor their glucose levels throughout the day. They need to plan everything from meals to exercise routines to avoid hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia. 
There are many different insulin regimens and each is specifically tailored to an individual and their lifestyle. In type 2 diabetes, there is insulin resistance and an inability to secrete very high levels of insulin. The environmental factor involved in the pathogenesis is central adiposity, which is a common finding in many adults today. In Scotland, two-thirds of adults are now categorised as obese, which in itself is a major issue and topic. What happens is that due to this increased visceral body fat, more free fatty acids are released into the blood. Free fatty acids have the effect of decreasing insulin receptor sensitivity on muscle and adipose tissue. The exact mechanism of how they do this is unknown. This leads to a poor uptake of excess glucose in the blood. So the pancreas thinks, hey, there's still too much glucose in the blood and starts churning out even more insulin. And the body does adapt and survive this way for a while by producing a lot of insulin to compensate for peripheral insulin resistance. However, this is where genetics come in. There are gene variants, such as TCF7L2, which control whether an individual can produce lots of insulin or not. A person with a lot of these gene variants won't be able to cope with excess glucose in the blood, as they simply cannot produce lots of insulin to compensate for it. So a combination of central adiposity, which leads to insulin resistance, and genetics, which lead to low insulin secretion, eventually cause type 2 diabetes mellitus. So what does this mean for patients? They need to make lifestyle modifications to lose excess visceral body fat and usually need some medications to help them control their glucose levels. There is a step-by-step -step approach to medications, with first line usually being metformin, also known as biguanide, and others being added such as sulfonylureases and SGLT2 inhibitors. The main aim of treatment is to stabilise their glucose control and prevent complications such as myocardial infarctions, retinopathy, neuropathies and other associated complications. Now that we have talked about coronavirus and diabetes individually, let's look at how they fit together. We can start with some good old statistics. One in four people who have died in hospital in England from coronavirus also had diabetes. This understandably caused some shock and fear in the diabetic community. But it's important to know that the overall risk is still very low and will continue to decline as coronavirus cases decline. The majority of people who do get COVID-19, whether they have diabetes or not, will have mild symptoms and won't require hospitalisation. It's also important to note that the factor most strongly related to risk of death from coronavirus is older age. Very few people with diabetes under the age of 40 have died from coronavirus. Data shows that significantly more people with type 2 diabetes die from coronavirus than those with type 1. Most people in the UK have type 2 diabetes, which in itself is associated with many comorbidities, which puts them at a higher risk of severe COVID-19 disease. However, you should also know that even though there were fewer deaths in type 1 diabetes, the condition itself is linked with a higher risk. People with type 1 diabetes were found to be 3.5 times more likely to die. Now, for a more pathophysiology take on it all. Diabetes is essentially a chronic inflammatory condition involving metabolic and vascular abnormalities. But having diabetes doesn't necessarily mean you're more susceptible to contracting coronavirus. We still don't know if it is diabetes itself or its complications such as heart disease and diabetic nephropathy that put diabetics at risk of developing more severe COVID-19 disease. 
Infection of SARS-CoV-2 in those with diabetics possibly triggers higher stress conditions with greater release of hyperglycemic hormones, for example, glucocorticoids and catecholamines, leading to increased blood glucose levels and abnormal glucose variability. It is thought that coronavirus infection in diabetics can cause a stress response, which eventually leads to the release of hyperglycemic hormones and an increase in blood glucose levels. This obviously means that people with diabetes find it more difficult to control their blood glucose levels and may find their normal therapy regimes don't quite work for them. We now have a diabetic patient with poor glycemic control, which has been linked to inhibition of lymphocyte proliferation and impaired macrophage and neutrophil functions. There also seems to be abnormal delayed hypersensitivity reactions and atypical complement activation. All of these factors mean a struggle to fight off any infection, including COVID-19. Patients presenting to hospital with COVID-19 and diabetes had lymphocytopenia, as well as thrombocytopenia and leukopenia. There was also an elevation of pro-inflammatory cytokines, C-reactive protein, and increased coagulation. In addition to the notable inflammation, type 2 diabetics seem to have more coagulation happening than fibrinolysis. This may be due to the fact that both type 1 and type 2 diabetes are associated with endothelial dysfunction and enhanced platelet aggregation. This leads to a hypercoagulable prothrombotic state. People who have hypertension are usually on ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers. This is associated with an increase in levels of the ACE2 receptor. It is thought that these medications may lead to poor outcomes for COVID-19 patients. At the moment, we cannot say for fact what the effects of long-term intake of ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers are on SARS-CoV-2 entry and viral replication. There are even some studies showing that they may be favourable for acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is a complication of COVID. So this is a potential double-edged sword, and the important message is that there isn't enough evidence at the moment to stop taking these medications. The risks such as heart failure are far worse than coronavirus complications for people with hypertension. Continuing on the topic of the ACE2 receptor potentially causing issues for diabetic people, a Chinese study found that there is potential evidence for people actually developing diabetes during hospitalisation from COVID-19. They used immunostaining on islets of Langerhans in non-diabetic patients and found there was damage, leading to acute insulin-dependent diabetes. Further evidence is obviously still needed, but it can be argued that this may contribute to an even worse outcome in people who are already diabetic. Now that we have talked it through, what should diabetic people actually do to decrease their risks of severe COVID-19 disease? Weight and poor diabetic control put diabetics at an increased risk of poor outcomes. This means that it is vital to keep blood sugar levels within the target range. It's imperative that they monitor their blood glucose regularly and plan meals and exercise really well. Older adults with diabetes should follow strict social distancing measures to avoid catching the virus altogether. In terms of obesity, it's becoming apparent that abdominal fat seems to lead to excessive inflammation. At the moment, diabetes isn't even on the list of vulnerable conditions for coronavirus. This is where we need a more government-level initiative to educate the people on weight loss measures and informing diabetic people on any relevant risks and, of course, reassuring them too. And how can I not mention social distancing? England has relaxed lockdown measures and Scotland is in phase one of their lockdown plan. 
This doesn't mean that things can go back to normal. It is so important that people still make an effort to avoid unnecessary trips and visitations. Healthy people especially need to make that extra effort to curb the spread of disease. It is very important to also touch on the difficulties faced by people with diabetes during lockdown, so let's do that. People who have diabetes were told to stay inside in the early stages of lockdown, which in itself posed a problem. They had to rely on family or friends to pick up prescriptions on their behalf. This would obviously prove to be more difficult if a person lived on their own without family or friends to help nearby. Having interviewed a medical student whose father has type 1 diabetes, they said things were very difficult when their mother started displaying symptoms of COVID-19 and the pharmacy refused to deliver all of their father's medications, including insulin, statins and sensors, as the whole household had to self-isolate. Moreover, his work were understanding at first, but his job is one that cannot be carried out remotely, so he had no other option but to go back despite government advice. Another major thing that has really affected people with diabetes was a sudden change and lack of routine, meaning that mistakes have been made with insulin dosages. For example, the father of the medical student we interviewed accidentally injected 18 units of short-acting insulin instead of 8 units at one point. Thankfully, he was fine, but such mistakes are being made by many people and in some cases they may not be as fortunate. They also mentioned that now that things are a little busier again, their father is back to driving, still without a proper routine, which has caused blood sugar fluctuations. Mental health is a big area of concern, especially for people having to deal with diabetes or any chronic condition during lockdown. But we will explore this in a lot more detail in the fourth episode of the Covendo series, so stay tuned for that. So, to help you imagine an actual patient, we have someone who cannot produce insulin or are resistant to it. This means they struggle to control their glucose levels, which in itself poses complications, such as high blood pressure, neuropathy, etc. If we add an infection such as COVID-19 on top of that, this puts extra stress on their body's inflammatory responses, which all go a bit haywire. All of this further adds to their inability to control blood glucose levels. This creates an opportunity for coronavirus to cause a more severe infection and there are various potential drug-to-viral interactions such as ACE inhibitors as we discussed. This puts the patient not only at a higher risk of being hospitalised with coronavirus but also developing diabetes-related complications such as diabetic ketoacidosis. But remember, at the end of the day, people with diabetes shouldn't stress themselves out about coronavirus because chances are that you will be fine even if you do catch it. But that isn't to say that you should be lax about it. It is super important to control your diabetes well and do all the other typical things to keep healthy. For example, eat a balanced diet, exercise, get your vitamins and drink plenty of water. And even if you are stressed, that is totally understandable. And there are plenty of emotional well-being platforms that can help you through these difficult times, such as Diabetes UK Helpline and the NHS Every Mind Matters website. I hope that you have enjoyed our very first Endopod episode and learned a thing or two about diabetes and coronavirus. Join us next week for an exciting debate and controversies episode. Please do follow us on our Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages. Please like and share the podcast with all your friends and colleagues. And of course, I always welcome any feedback about our podcasts. 
If you have any requests for future podcasts, then absolutely let us know. Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier signing off. Music